Hello and welcome to the Essendon People Podcast, an unofficial Essendon Football Club supporter podcast. Hosted by Brendan and Mark, Essendon People is a podcast for those who live and breathe Aussie rules and the Mighty Bombers. From the casual fan to the hardcore supporter, if you have the red and black in your heart, then Essendon People is the podcast for you. Thank you for joining us. Let's Let's start start the pod. pod. Welcome to episode 83 of the Essendon People podcast, our round six review for the Anzac Day game against Collingwood and our round seven preview for the game against Geelong. So, Brendan, when I die, I want the Essendon Football Club to have representatives available at my funeral to lower me down, let me down one last time. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, disappointing result at the end of the game considering... Position we're in at three quarter time, but I think having sat on it for 24 hours and watched the replay, I think there's um, interesting points we can look to discuss and see that it's not not all doom and gloom, even though it certainly feels that way. <laughs> I think you're a bit further advanced in the uh, healing process than I am. I think it's I mentioned stages you, of grief. <laughs> yeah, stages of grief, exactly. I think I mentioned to you earlier that. This is uh, reluctantly acting as a therapy session, I think, for me. And uh, 24 hours later, I'm certainly not over it. And uh, I've avoided all social media, all news websites. I haven't watched a single footy show. I'm pretending it never existed. We we exited the stadium pretty quickly. And no doubt Wonderboy won the medal. And I didn't want to see uh, see them take the, the trophy and all that. And I, I don't think um, there was a crowd of 95,000 and I walked from the opposite side of the MCG all the way along Birramar. And I don't think I got overtaken by one person. I was uh, on a mission. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, as you will know, I'm uh, I'm not on social media. I'm actually, I live a bit of a hermit's lifestyle here. I'm uh, <laughs> not in contact with the outside world, but for you, I'm going to select a few others. But uh, I have to say, I turned the radio on this morning to listen to a bit of SEN. And then as soon as they mentioned the flicker of the game, I'm like, that's it, I'm turning off. I don't want to listen to it. I don't need this in my life this morning. <laughs> so I've certainly um, moved quickly from them to now. Yeah, that one hurt. So it was um, Collingwood 13-12-90 to Essendon 11-11-77. So I guess, yeah, 13-point margin, which was their biggest margin for the whole game. Obviously, they kicked a goal after the siren. Uh, from memory, they had taken a mark just before the siren and didn't even watch the ball go through. But um, obviously, they kicked that and it, it stretched the margin to 13. So pretty close contest. And, and I think you're right, in hindsight, looking back, um, you know, if you told me at the start of the year that on Anzac Day, we would be within a couple of kicks of Collingwood, um, I think I would have taken that. And I think on reflection as well, I, I, um, I actually got up and went for a walk this morning because I had, you know, all this extra time where I'd normally potter around and, and uh, scroll and stuff like that. And um, I actually walked past the local, um, the the kind of shrine and that they've got, that they had the Anzac service at yesterday just down the road uh, from home. And I walked past it. I thought, oh, in hindsight, I, I'm sort of crying over spilled milk. Like the whole day is about, you know, people that sacrifice their lives, you know, uh, for, for us to have what we have today. And um, in hindsight, I'm uh, being pretty pretty childish over it. And it's um, it's the greater picture that, that we need to stand back and have a look at. And it was a great reflection of, of that and remembering those people. That's a great that's a great way to think of it there. Uh, 
certainly the day is bigger than football and as much as we love football and how great it was and it was a record crowd and all that, um, something to be remembered that, you know, for 364 of the day of the year, football's number one, but uh, on a, on Anzac Day, it certainly takes a back seat. So, uh, yes, Essendon, 11-11-77 to Collingwood, 13-12-90, 13-point margin. I guess we'll um, get stuck into the first quarter there, Mark. So we started pretty strongly, uh, especially that first half of the quarter there. We kicked three goals, 220. The Collingwood's one goal, 4-10. Same amount of scoring shots, converted at 60%. I thought, as I said, we started strongly. We said to each other, we've got to have a strong focus on starting well. And that St Kilda game, uh, that first 10 minutes really cost us. And then that was the end result at the end of the day. So... I thought we did really well, but I thought as the quarter went on, Collingwood started to get back in it. There was a couple lucky uh, behinds for our sake. The goalie pretty, pretty much red time or on the siren, uh, kicked that goal and really got the Collingwood supporters and into the game and lifted also the Collingwood team. I thought, geez, that momentum really went Collingwood's way. I really went against us in that we could have gone in the quarter time and said, look how we're going. We've kept them scoreless through the quarter. And the space of one second and one goal in the game, it, it didn't really make that much difference in the end. But, geez, that was a real critical moment that we could have grasped and we let it slip through our fingers. Yeah, you're right. I think that red time goal, big difference between, you know, keeping them goalless and, you know, them kicking a goal on the siren, having the crowd up and about. There was a bit of push and shove and their players had a bit of, you know, pep in their step after that as well. So um, I think although we played well in the first quarter, yeah, just kind of just lacked finishing it off there in the last five minutes and, and just let them get that sort of goal at the end, which, which I think in hindsight really hurt us momentum wise. And in the second quarter there, we kind of, we didn't play that well in the second quarter. Still generated five shots on goal, kicked two goals, three. Uh, they had the seven shots on goal and kicked four goals, three. So they won that quarter by 12 and then went in at halftime, um, you know, leading by leading by two points. So I, I think you're right there. Sort of the end of that first quarter seemed to flow into the second quarter. And um, overall in that second quarter, just felt like they got on top. The, the center clearances became an issue for us. Uh, we weren't able to transition out of the, out of the back line. I think watching the game, you know, up from level four, it was quite easy to see. We were having a lot of trouble transitioning out of the back 50 and getting it past halfway, like getting it past the wing. Um, I think from memory, a couple of those goals that we kicked in the second quarter, we only kicked two in the second quarter. And I think both of them were fairly lucky. I think there was, uh, I think there was one where a scrappy kick went along the ground, you know, kind of bounced over someone from Collingwood, landed in our hands from Snelling or someone, and he kicked it to someone who, who scored. And I think the other one was fairly lucky from memory as well. So, um, yeah, it's a trail by two points at halftime with the way we kind of finished the first quarter and started and played through the second. I thought we were probably quite fortunate um, with some of those misses that they had, as you mentioned. Yeah, I think we were quite efficient in that second quarter in that, we had five scoring shots from the quarter, and I don't think we had that many more inside 50. So pretty much every time we got the ball in there, uh, we we put scoreboard pressure on. The, the obvious issue is if you're only getting in there five times, <laughs> uh, you kind of need a bit more than that. And as you said, it wasn't so much that we could, we could stop the thing or we're getting smashed out of the centre. It's that 
we get the ball stuck in our back pocket, right? We win the ball back and then we move it to back flank or just outside the 50 and then it would come back in or then the Collingwood would switch play to the other side of the ground and bring it back in. We couldn't really get it to the other side of centre. Even if we turned the ball over on, you know, our half forward flank, right, it gives that's an extra kick, kick and a half that Collingwood have got to possess the ball and it gives our back six time to set up and they were just seemingly like under siege for a little bit there. Um, improvements. Uh, and that might be with the senior players we had out, especially in the midfield there. Yeah, definitely. So we went into the third quarter, which please say was a much better quarter. Uh, we kicked six goals, three thirty-nine in that third quarter to their one goal, three nine. Um, from memory, they scored late again as well in the last sort of five minutes or so. So, um, yeah, nine scoring shots at 66% was good. We won that quarter by 30 points and we went in to the last break with a healthy 28-point lead or what we thought was a healthy 28-point lead. I remember we turned to each other and were sort of doing the maths and 28 points up, they've got to kick five goals more than we do. And, um, you know, little do we know at the time, they only needed to kick five goals because we weren't going to kick one ourselves. So, um, yeah, the third quarter, though, before we move on to the, the doom and gloom of the last quarter, the third quarter was really impressive. We got momentum. The pressure was what done it. it. The only way to beat pressure is with more pressure. And I think that's what we really nailed in that in that um, third quarter. It was shades of that Melbourne game back again. And um, it just everyone was all over it, just pushing forward. Uh, people stood up in that third quarter that I think at halftime we discussed, you know, we needed more out of Stringer. Uh, we needed more out of Davey. We needed, you know, Menzi to kind of have a bit more of an impact as well. Like he was getting close a few times. Um, we mentioned, uh, I think, Parrish at, at halftime had been kept a bit quiet. So we mentioned a few people sitting there at halftime, sort of just chatting amongst ourselves. And, um, you know, those people stood up and the whole team kind of lifted um, around each other. And it's just a really good team effort in that third quarter. Yeah, I think you mentioned a number of the players that we discussed, but I think the big one was Sam Draper. I thought he had a massive influence with just his play, not possession. It was the tap out of the ruck or he'd halve the ruck contest and he'd get it to ground and he knocked the ball forward. There's a couple times where he just pushed the ball forward out the centre, a little tap underneath the ball, couldn't quite pick it up, so he, he shinned it forward and then he... He tried to pick it up again, couldn't quite get there. So a little toe tap. And he got he just cleared the zone and got it going our way. And I was chatting to my old man today, and he was the same, agreeing with me that and it the little analogy came in my head. It was kind of like a Nick Natanui game. And it's weird you'd say that Nick Nat and Draper are not similar types of ruckman, but what they did well, what they did well is it's the follow-up. It's the pressure, the big body just surging forward, pushing it, knocking it, just getting it going our way until eventually we could gain possession and do it well. And I think the best example of that was Drapes, that two-handed tap out of the contest, hit Stringer on the run and he kicked that one on his left, running away from goal down at the punt road end. And I thought, wow, that was um, obviously wasn't designed, but it just worked off perfectly and really summed up what was the structure that we had in that third quarter. Then we went into the last quarter, which um, probably don't need to dwell on it for too long, but uh, Collingwood kicked seven goals too. They had the nine scoring shots. Um, you know, conversion of nearly 78% is going to do it every day of the week. And 
we kicked three behinds, um, lost that quarter by 41 points and ended up losing the game by 13 points. And I think we really fell down structurally in the in the last quarter. We we not only looked like we were running out of legs, but we fell down structurally as well. And maybe I'll let you speak a bit about, um, you know, kind of how, how that process unfolded and what it looked like at the ground. Yeah, so we sat we sat on the back flank there and we said to each other before the ball bounced, we saw Heppel and then I think it was Kelly, it's at a half back, and then we saw um Setterfield and we said to each other, Oh, I don't I don't know about that matchup having Heppel and Setterfield back there and then like why is he there? And then it word filtered through that Lav had done his shoulder and, and that's why Setterfield had to go back. And, and then the further you looked up the ground, then you saw, you know, Hobbs lining up onto Goey in the centre square and, yeah, Cold it just didn't look right, did it? No. So that was kind of what stood out is that well, we talk about the structural piece. Laverty having to be subbed out of the game meant they moved Setterfield back, which means that we had to replace him in the midfield. And we didn't have Merritt or Setterfield in there, so we had – and this is a bugbear, or not bugbear is a strong word, but something we've discussed a lot over the course of the year on the podcast and the need to get more centre bounce attendances for guys like Corwell, Perkins, Hobbs coming in this week as well. And just get them experience through games because what happens is that you find yourself in a situation like we did where all of a sudden two of the four mids that have played all year aren't there in Merritt and Setterfield, and all of a sudden you're plugging guys into roles that they haven't been exposed to in recent weeks, and you're relying on them to stand up against good opponents in a big pressure game, and that's ultimately where we lost it. Now, you know, they'll gain experience from that, but I think the experience they could have gained from rounds one to five, the cumulative effect of that could have mean that maybe a couple of those goals that we conceded in the last don't happen because they, you know, they're not being exposed to it for the first time under pressure. They've been exposed to it incrementally over time. And we talked about how great our third quarter was. It, the difference is stark. It was always the mirror image. So we had the four, Collingwood had the four scoring shots to nine in the third and the inverse, Collingwood had the nine to our three. We kicked six goals, three. They kicked seven goals, two. Right, so but for one behind there, the score's pretty much equal. And we've kicked, you know, three behinds in the last quarter and Colin will kick one goal three. So it's it's kind of started how we – it just flipped on its head and it was diametrically opposed. And, yeah, it was, you know, a bit of pill to swallow at the end there. Yeah, and I know hindsight's a beautiful thing, but, you know, end of the third quarter, you're 28 points up. I think Collingwood – you know, kick a, a late goal and then went, maybe we kick another one to get it back out to 28. But, um, you know, two more goals and all of a sudden you're 40 points up. And I don't think too many teams are coming back from 40 points up, you know, early in the fourth quarter or, you know, three-quarter time. And uh, obviously that's easy to say now, but um, just that scoreboard pressure, at, you know, we said, for, you know, at the end of the first quarter, them going in scoreless as opposed to having just kicked one and got a bit of momentum. Like there's little moments like that through games, you know, them getting a really early one in the fourth quarter, us not being able to hold on for any more than two minutes before they kick the goal. Like, it just gives them instant momentum. Um, so it's just, yeah, just little moments like that. They just seem to stack up and then all of a sudden you're only 15 points up and then all of a sudden you're only nine points up and it quickly evaporates. 
And we talked about I thought I just praised Sam Draper. I thought he had a really big impact in that third quarter. But what what he needs to do to improve in his game is his set shot goal kicking. I know when he kicked that goal early on, I think we looked at each other going, Oh, I'm not confident he's going to be able to kick this. And then in that last quarter, when he got that free kick, I think we both looked at each other and I said, nah, nah, he, he's he's not going to be able to do it. You know, like they last quarter, we only really had two true opportunities on goal. One was Draper, one was Menzi. Menzi was a more difficult option, probably should have still kicked it, but you're not going to crucify uh, a guy that's played less than 10 games, right? Uh, but Drapes, a set shot, you know, the play is dead essentially. Um, yeah, oh, that's a growth in his game that needs to come. You know, I think all Western supporters know what I'm talking about there. You, you're not so likely... If Peter's got that shot, you're like, oh, yeah, he's going to kick this. Or if he doesn't kick it, it's going to be, uh, you know, a, unexpected. Whereas with Drapes, I think we're all kind of hands in mouth or kind of dismissing the option before he even kicked it. Particularly, you probably needed to try and get that one back first too because I think the first goal of the final quarter there, I think it was Frampton who floated forward and managed to just shove Draper off it. You know, it was almost top of the square kind of thing and that sort of got him started. It's not a dig at Sam, but... Um, yeah, just little moments through through the game stack up, don't they? So um, looking at the stats here, this is the first time I've actually looked through the stats because I've put myself, as a siren blue, I put myself on a football ban. I haven't looked at anything. But looking at the stats here, it's actually pretty damning. There's We actually got blown away um, in a lot of these stats. Or maybe not, but blown away is probably a strong terminology to use. But um, pretty, pretty well beaten, it looks like, through here. So contested possession, 142 to them, 121 to us. Uncontested possession, they've had, you know, more than 60 uncontested possessions than what we have. Uh, effective disposals, 309 to them, 246 to us. So that's comprehensive. Uh, disposals, 393 to them, 326 to us. Disposal efficiency, they're a bit more efficient than what we are. But I, I, that stat for me is it's always around the same mark every week. I don't, I don't really trust that one too much. Um, you know, marks, 110 marks to them, only 69 to us. Um, marks inside 50. 13 to them. We only managed seven for the game. Um, so there's, you know, we were beaten kind of around the ground at the stoppages by the looks of it and in the air as well. So, which actually, now that I think about it, actually looked that way. We were winning all the taps, but seemed to just be tapping it straight down to them. That was where they were getting all their, you know, uncontested possession around the back of the pack. And then they were much better at, you know, taking the chip kicks and, and working it out of our defence and uh, and up the ground. Whereas so we just seemed to be bombing it to, to contest. Yeah, I think the the gap in marks, what's that, 41 more marks, I think it's really indicative of them controlling possession of the ball, right, and just being able to take that extra second, hit up a target. And that also might be the fact that Darcy Moore, we just kicked it to him ad nauseum there, and that's kind of something we really got to get out of a game. And it's something you can't really tell watching on the TV. You have to be at the game. There is little movement forward of the ball, right? And that was a big criticism last year, but this year, again, that just blokes have got a lead. Some guys got to even just do a sacrificial lead, knowing they're not going to get the ball, just to create the space for someone to actually lead into. It's very, it's, you can almost say it's like checkers where they're just kicking over the top. Someone, it's got to be a bit more movement in there for guys to get an easier shot and or easier option for them to kick to then get a shot. Talked about the the hitouts there, Mark. Fifty to twenty nine dominated the hitouts there, but we actually lost the clearances. 
36 to 35, you know, to have such a dominance in the hit out. And that was obviously going to be our one wood going into the game. To not capitalise on that was a big issue. 64 inside 50s we conceded, right? And that was what we were talking about earlier. But we couldn't quite clear the ball past centre. We kept getting it to just outside and then we turned it over and it gave them the option to kick it back in and put our defence under pressure multiple times. You know, 25 scoring shots to 22, okay, that's not a big margin, but score involvements, 121 to 97. You know, for two more scoring shots, they had such a big gap. It's because they were able to control possession and move it around to find the right option to then hit the leading player because they created space. And it was just little things. Watching at the ground, as you said, you, you sort of, you know, you had the benefit of seeing this live in person that you might not normally get. But even things as simple as a kick out, they take a kick out, Dusty Moore takes it. There was very few times we saw pressure from someone on the mark. You know, Davies good at it when he does it, but he's not always there or he's not always the, there's not always a person set up to do it. So often they'd be able to run to, you know, 25 metres out before taking the kick. And all of a sudden that kick, if it has to go contested, is landing 75 metres out from from goal and it's cleared the danger. Us on the other end, we seem to take a pressure kick out. We either have to go for a real a real dodgy one that's, um, you know, touch and go as to whether we should even take that kick on that's still within the 50 or otherwise we're kicking it from just outside the square, lobbing it 50 metres, and at best we're causing a stoppage, you know, pretty much on the 50 arc uh, on the boundary. That That's a big difference of being another 25 metres and kind of relieving the pressure and being able to set up again. And just little things, and that goes back as simple as having someone who automatically is just ready, you know, at, at when a behind's kick that's on the mark and it's applying a bit of, even if it's just perceived pressure, that, you know, someone's standing there and if you want to play on, you're going to have to either go around them or you're going to have to kick it you know, 65 metres over that person's head. So just things like that. And it's not just the bloke on the mark. It's the it's the guy that's that first relief kick. So often you'll see the guy will kick it 25, 30 metres, the guy in the back pocket. We seem to concede that. Our structure is we don't push up and we sit back and we're relating for not the second kick, the third kick, the one that goes up the ground onto the wing. I think if you... If, something to, for coaches to consider is actually if you don't want to put the pressure on the guy kicking out, push the go- put the pressure on the guy who's receiving the ball, right? So you can't do anything about the source, but you can do something about the guy that receives it. Because if that guy's under no pressure, then he can kick at 50 metres. Then, as you said, you're already 75 metres out and, you know, you've had two uncontested possessions that have helped set up your play because you've it's set up your play because you've chosen to go down that path. Whereas you put Davey was a good example. A couple of times he did really chase for pressure. The guy at the last minute had to change his mind or, like I said, perceived pressure somehow impeded the kick and it didn't go out as smoothly as the other ones where there was no pressure on the uh, on the distributor of the ball, the guy kicking it. And that I guess we're highlighting that because it it doesn't come it doesn't appear on the stat sheet that that type of play or that situation doesn't appear on the stat sheet anywhere and it's something that's a that's a structural thing or a game plan thing that that maybe um yeah it could just be tweaked slightly that all of a sudden creates more opportunities for you and makes you hold it inside your forward fifty so no good bad and ugly this week um, I think we've pretty well generally discussed it I think we're, we're both pretty uh pretty fed up with it after the game and um, not in the frame of mind to put together a list of how bad things were. So, um, yeah, I guess that that's probably enough conversation on the actual game.
I will say, though, we were up by five goals at three-quarter time. And, yes, we lost it, but we only lost it by two goals. But we went into that game without the best three from last year's Crichton medal. So one, two, and three, you know. One of those was our captain, the best midfielder, and our best player. And the other one's our best forward. Right? And the other one's probably our best pressure player. So three big outs from that perspective. And we're coming up against the Collingwood side that was top four last year, kick away from a grand final. And we were, you know, coming from a pretty low base last year. So in the space of six weeks, uh, I think we've closed the gap significantly. And that's... Not so much. We have we didn't get close because Stringer kicked six or someone and Darcy had a day out in the midfield or BZT just marked everything down back. It seemed to be a game plan that the players are able to understand and to execute. And I noticed a quote from Darcy Parrish today where he said, you know, he's really liked what Brad Scott's brought to the club and he made mention that he's he's simplified and cleared up the plan, right? And the players are able to understand what they're trying to do on the field a lot more and a lot easier. So from that perspective, you know, you can have the best plans in the world, but people don't understand it well enough to execute it, right, then it's inefficient and ineffective. So sometimes if the plan's a little bit simpler, but it can be executed to its fullest, then it's more effective. Yeah, and it's a good point. I think if we sort of – I know we're reviewing the game here, but I think if we stand back and have a look, you know, we've played six games now, I think – you know, if you had said to me at the start of the year, we'll win four of those, lose two, and the two that we lose are, are against the two sides that are top two on the ladder at, at the end of round six. And, and by both, three and two goals. <laughs> and both of those games we've been in within the last quarter have been pretty much level within the last quarter or been up at stages. So, um, yeah, I think that's good. We're obviously still – we're sort of not quite halfway through a big – a big test period, I guess, that we had, you know, we blocked away that sort of four or five week block. But I think, um, you know, from where we started as a base off last year, I think you'd, you'd call both of those games, you know, last week and the week before, obviously against Melbourne, I think as ticks, even though we lost um, the Anzac Day game, which is which is gutting. But um, I think the way we played, you know, although it's not perfect, it's shown a lot of improvement. So I think another big test this week against Geelong, which we'll go through shortly. So we'll just we'll just finish off before the break. Heath Hockey medal. I got my five votes to Langford, four to McGrath, three to BZT, who, um, just to mention him, uh, kept uh, my check goalless into six possessions, which is good. Two votes to Redmond and one vote to uh, Martin. I go five to Langford, four to Parrish, three to Setterfield. I think, you know, it's probably simplistic, but his move out of the midfield coincided when the rush came against us. So, and then Brad's got himself, I think, recognised that and tried to push him back into the middle and send Langford back. Uh, two for Corwell, I thought, given the opportunity in the midfield, there was a number of times where he had multiple efforts following the ball up, trying to get the ball out of the pack, getting it forward. And Sam Durham won one vote. I think I just like the way he goes about it defensively, always puts his body on the line and works hard for not only himself, but his teammates. Let's go to a break and let's uh, come back to talk some VFL and some VFLW. So in the VFL on um, Sunday there, Victoria Park, it was it was a similar story. It was a game that Essendon were in control of and then let Collingwood back in and uh, 
with them kind of run away with it before narrowing the margin to eight points. So we went down by eight points. Collingwood 14, 13, 97 to Essendon 13, 11, 89. Bit of a frustrating game to watch in that respect that we were, I thought, clearly the better team but didn't weren't able to get the job done. Uh, we're missing a lot of senior experience in fairness due to the um, due to the AFL game, uh, I guess, and the side's not being announced yet. But uh, I guess if we go through... The AFL listed players, uh, Brennan there. Lewis Hayes had a good game. He had 17 disposals, uh, took three marks. Nick Bryan had a pretty good game as well, 17 disposals, one mark. Uh, kicked the behind, had a good opportunity there to, to, to get a goal and um, put his name up. He had four tackles as well in the 45 hit out. So he was pretty dominant in the ruck. So good signs there from Nick coming back from that hamstring injury. Kane Baldwin, just the six disposals, uh, three marks and three tackles. Um, you made a good point, Brendan, that he's only just come back from two weeks off from the, that concussion that he had. Yeah, so he obviously had the delayed concussion there and missed that week and then missed the second week there. And, you know, uh, we all know concussions are a really big talking point at the moment there. So hopefully he's, he's right and he's able to settle back into into footy there. Um, his key defensive partner, Zach Reed, first game back, nine disposals, three marks. Only played three quarters there. Looked a bit rusty early and worked with his game, as you probably would expect, given the injury layoff that he's had. Alistair Lord, 15 disposals, two marks. Uh, Rent Montgomery, 14 disposals, six marks. Paddy Voss playing up the ground a bit more in recent weeks, 15 disposals, seven marks. Didn't have a didn't register a score. Um, interesting to see that, you know, what the coaches are valuing there. Are they valuing the disposals and the marks and getting up the ground, being the conduit between the forward line uh, and the midfield, or are they valuing the goals, which comes from playing deeper and being the big target that they kick to? Um, yeah, interesting to see which way that he goes. I just think on Voss as well, um, he's obviously kicked a few goals at the start of the year and was probably up the pointy end of the, the goal-kicking tally for the VFL. And I think opposition sides have worked out how to play him a little bit as well. He's, there was times where he was getting double-teamed and triple-teamed and, um, yeah, he was getting his possession numbers more up the ground, I think. So he did have a couple of shots on goal, but they were kind of, you know, rushed. I think one was touched and... Um, yeah, he's not, not probably getting the shots he was having, uh, as you said, maybe for mainly because he's been playing up the ground and obviously that's a direct instruction. Um, but I also think that the last couple of weeks watching the games is that um, opposition clubs have worked out that, you know, he's a focal point and they've they're really targeted that. Yeah, and then we got our two small forwards here in Wanganin and Mankara. Tex had the 10 touches, three marks and two goals. And Mankara had the seven disposals, but it was more his work around the ground mark with three marks, four tackles, and then hitting the scoreboard, kicking one goal, two behind. Uh, probably his best performance so far in his young career there, Mankara, and it's really pleasing to see week on week the improvements that he's showing. And the, of the VFL listed players, uh, John Jordan's Georgenson, uh, number 56, big, tall, tall lad with the, with the Mo. He had 12 disposals, four marks. He kicked five goals and uh, he, he had a really good good game. Bit of spark about him. Uh, Quinton Narkle, 21 disposals. And uh, Brad Bernacki, he had the 22 disposals. So we sit 11th on the ladder after five games with two wins and three losses. Yeah, next week we've got we've got the bye there. So hopefully um, 
the boys can rest up and we can really focus on uh, uh, getting some senior players back for the AFL game. On to the VFLW. It was better news there. It was Essendon, four goals, 7.31, to Collingwood, two goals, 3.15. So we won by 16 points and uh, and had a, had a pretty good day there. So Amelia Radford, the 32 disposals, six tackles. That's a ripping game. Alana Barber continues her consistency, 22 disposals, 12 tackles. Georgia Clark, 20 disposals, five marks and a tackle. Amber Clark, 18 disposals, uh, three marks. And uh, hit the scoreboard just with a behind this week. Yeah, and the major goal kickers were Grace Dicker, who kicked two goals, two from 16 touches. Maddie Wilson, one goal, one from 14. And uh, the big ruck woman, uh, Meg Ryan, uh, with the with the 13 disposals and two marks. So we're currently eighth on the ladder, having played five games for two wins, two losses and a draw. And we actually have a game this week uh, at Williamstown against Williamstown at 2 o'clock on Sunday, 30th of April. All right, let's take another break and come back to look ahead to the Geelong game. All right, we move ahead now. So Geelong, Sunday, 10 past one at the MCG. Uh, big test, um, home game. So hopefully the big bombers turn out. And um, it's not going to be as nice weather-wise, uh, Brendan, as it was on on Anzac Day. I think it's really meant to be 16 degrees, but um, should be a good day there at the MCG and a huge test against last year's Premier and try and get a bit of redemption on uh, what they did to us in round one last year. Yeah, and it's really important that people come out uh, this weekend, considering it's the country game there. Uh, it's really um, becoming uh, important that gay for the club in terms of uh, celebrating the country people, the people who can work on the land, that contribute yeah, to, you know, basic things like the food that, you know, most people in the city eat or drink. So to really acknowledge the work that, that they do uh, would be good for them and also good to have another marquee game on the calendar that we could, we could potentially add to to establish ones like Anzac Day and Dreamtime there. So come out, uh, get, a, get a lot of bombers there, our home game. And like you said, maybe a bit of redemption against the reigning Premier for round one last year. So injury list for us. Jane Laverty was subbed off with a shoulder injury. Uh, Brad Scott in his press conference said that it looked like an AC joint. From what it sounds like is that he hurt himself, tried to play on and simply just couldn't and um, and then came off. So they we're getting scans on that today. And um, I think you said to me before that Channel 7 were reporting that he might require some surgery. So I'm not sure if there's any more details yet on that. Yeah, that was one of their lead stories there. They had him in a sling coming out of the, the scan clinic they have down there at the Melbourne Sports Precinct there. So they said he's looking to get booked in for surgery there. So you can imagine that's probably six weeks at the earliest AC joint. I know he's had a bit of trouble with that shoulder in the past. I think there's a famous, well, famous from my point of view, considering I'm one of – well, Laverty's one of the guys that I follow closely um, – Against Sydney a couple of years ago, he kind of popped it out and then he went back out there and played essentially with one arm, played on Buddy that day. And I think most people remember you know, he beat Buddy hands down. I'm pretty sure we both gave him the five votes for his, for his effort there. So I think he's probably been carrying that. Get, get a surgery to get fixed up. 
Moving down the injury list here, Matt Guelphie still four to five weeks away. Nick Cox with his back injury five weeks away. Elijah Sardis with his knee six weeks away. And then the longer term ones, Peter Wright with his shoulder um, still 11 weeks away. And then James Stewart, no word on his uh, his foot injury. And Jaden Davey, obviously, uh, not going to be playing this season. It would be nice to have had the option to break the glass and get James Stewart out this week with Laverty going out. It's, um, I think... You know, Laverty, uh, we obviously love him on this podcast, but, um, you know, you see some some people make some comments um, that, you know, oh, he should be out of sight or whatever and that. But uh, it just goes to show you how important he is uh, to this side and what he brings when he's a guy that you simply can't replace. And, like, if, you, if you've got that, um, you know, alongside your name, then it, I, 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 there's nothing, no other words I can say to describe how important you are to the side if, if that's, you know, what you bring. Yeah, look, I'm not on social media for a variety of reasons, but that just adds uh, another another in there. People will view football all different types of ways there, but he's of a critical important side. The best player, but I would say he's probably the most important just for the, the role that he plays. And I think people have to... For the past three years, Number one, key forward of the opposition or the key forward that's physically. He's <laughs> than Joe Watson, <laughs> really. I am on the monsters. And one of the monsters this week is Tom Hawkins, right? And he's going to absolutely feast upon us. And that's because we've got nobody that can physically engage. Yeah. Right. And, you know, Maybe Hawkins kicks multiple goals on Laverty. That's because, you know, Hawkins is a good player and Lav's given up 15 kilos and 10 centimetres. <laughs> right. So he's the epitome of a heart and soul player, Laverty. And I think people have to view football more than stats on a, on a sheet. You know, you, you know what your super coach score is isn't an indication of the role you play in the side and the importance that you have. That's my little, uh, well said. My, little my little rant over. <laughs> no, no, it's it's well said and it's all true. There's no there's no hiding that we're huge Laverty fans, but um, that's that's not coming from you know blind passion. That's just straight up facts. So um, they, they couldn't have said that better myself. And this is straight up. Look, this is maybe not a discussion for another day, but that that's a serious list issue for us that we've got nobody who can go with the big, strong, senior-bodied key forwards. It's been an issue for us for a while. We've selected Reed and we've selected Cox as top 10 bigs as potential key defenders. We brought in Brand and Air as NGA plays who have now exited the club. We've brought in BZT, who's now you know, playing some pretty good football, but none of them have got the strength to go with a player. And you, you mentioned maybe James Stewart, being a breaking case of emergency, and I agree, he would be the guy that I would send to if, if you know, we had. But he's proven in in the past, specifically against Geelong, that he's physically, whilst he's a big, strong man, he can't engage in the wrestle like Laverty can, and that's what you need to do against Hawkins because Hawkins, he's they were on the side. He's going to sit in the goal. What? 
Right, and, you know, and, he dominates in the ruck as a forward ruck, and he's going to absolutely have a field day unless the, the coaches come up with a plan. Maybe guys going third up, guys sagging off, someone playing old school sitting in the hole. Cameron and Hawkins from just going nuts. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, let's move on to Geelong's injury list. So Jed Buse, concussion, he'll be a test. And then um, throughout their injury list, the, the only real notable ones is probably uh, Sam Menegola with his knee is, is out. And uh, Reese Stanley with an eye socket injury, three to five weeks out. And then Tyson Stengel is the big one from uh, about a week or two ago uh, with, a, with a fractured arm. He'll, he'll miss three to five weeks. So dangerous small forward who, uh, who won't be playing against us on the weekend. Probably the, the key matchups there. Um, Mark Blitzarves uh, is playing as a ruckman last week. He's obviously played as a key defender as well. I guess with the injuries to someone like Stanley, I think they probably back him in the ruck. I think they can cover his spot down back with you know guys like the Coning, uh, guys like Collar Jasney. Even Radigalia has been playing as a third tall, plus Tom Stewart. Uh, I think that's where they go. So I think Draper has to go to him and maybe push forward, maybe kick a couple of goals. Yeah, next on the list here is Tom Stewart. So obviously really skilled defender, reads the play really well. He's courageous. He's pretty hard at it. Um, I think Kyle Langford, just height-wise, is probably the the way to go there and um, can maybe sort of burn him a little bit the other way uh, as well. Paddy Dangerfield. I think we send Setterfield to him and hope Setters can do a similar job what he did to Clayton Oliver last week. Staying in the middle there, Cam Guthrie, pretty consistent player for Geelong. Zach Merritt will come back into the side and he's probably our Mr. Consistency. So uh, that's a like-for-like matchup there. Staying in the midfield there, Tom Atkins, uh, tough inside mid. Darcy Parrish, Probably hasn't been described as a tough inside mid overly many times in his career, but I think he brings um, a lot of ball-winning ability and uh, and can at least go in the contest there and and, and show his power. Yep. Uh, Tom Hawkins, the elephant in the room, no Laverde there, so I guess probably have to bring someone. Hawkins being out of one defender in the VFL and has a bit of size about him, so... I guess he might be an option to get first crack and see if he can uh, nullify Hawkins. Duncan. The yeah. uh, with possible suspension there. Um, class. Old halfback. Sam is, is a guy that we could send to him just because he's got a bit more defensive now and he's strong in the air. Yep, we'll move on to uh, Isaac Smith there, hard-running wingman. Nick Martin, been going pretty well for us, so that's that's probably a, uh, a good matchup there to watch. And then Sam DeConning, intercept marker. He's really come on the last sort of 18 months, um, DeConning. And Sam Wiedemann, I guess, for, for us, it's going to be a big test for him. Um, Sam Wiedemann presents well, gets the ball. He, he took some good marks up the ground. If he could take those marks inside 50, he'd be... Elite, but uh, I think he's getting to the right spots, and he's obviously hasn't played that many games for us yet. So we need to need to be a bit patient. But he's going to have a big test this week in um, trying to nullify Deconning's influence. 
Yeah, he needs to engage the defender more. I know there was a couple of couple times yesterday there where Darcy Moore was able to sag off or play a third man up and really uh, outmark us, and that's a similar trait that the Koning has. So hopefully Wiedemann can have a contest and then uh, bring it to ground. And then Jeremy Cameron, um, probably the best player in the competition at the moment. Uh, BZT, I think, is a good matchup for him in terms of height, athleticism, and ability to cover the ground. So he's the guy we got to watch out for, and hopefully Zerk can do a similar job on Cameron that he did on my check and, and keep him goalless. So we'll go through the suggested changes. We've kind of covered that a little bit already, but um, we've got here Jaden Laverde obviously out with injury. You mentioned Kate Baldwin is probably the only real option we have unless we make some big structural challenge change on field and try and do something a bit weird but uh i think baldwin's probably the the one there i think hayes is is uh no chance against hawkins and that would be damaging for his development and likewise reed didn't even get through a full game of the vfl on the weekend so i don't think we can say that he's ready to go toe-to-toe with one of the best forwards in the comp yeah next one well the next couple uh Maybe more senior players with a short break that could could have a bit of a rest there. Are they physically capable of backing up? So, Zach Merritt is obviously potential out could be could be Dyson Heppel and then Andy Phillips there potential out and, and Nick Bryan after having a strong game in the VFL. Conclusion: I think Merritt definitely comes in. It's just a matter of trying to find who comes out, and I think. Uh, maybe to rest, give Dawson a rest. I know, but as far as you said, they were looking to have games where they would look to rest him and manage him and just kind of get him through the year. So this this might be one. Yeah, definitely. I think um, it's going to be a big game, and I think Brendan, that's probably about where we'll wrap it up. We're having a few audio issues, so apologies to anyone that's pushed through and, and is uh, and is still listening. And um, and uh, it's not not something we can we can help, unfortunately. It's it's not like recording as we did earlier in the week uh, live in person. That was that was a, a good uh, experience to go back to. But um, any final thoughts for the game? Uh, I don't. I've I think I've said my piece on Levert. Back, so I want to bore people to death <laughs> with that again, but I guess this will be a good opportunity to see if we can maybe put some things in place to stop the momentum. Obviously, we couldn't stop the momentum uh, yesterday. We couldn't against the Cats round one last year, so maybe a few things that we can see on Sunday there, as in when the opposition get a bit of a run, what we can do to kind of stop that. Yeah, no, I think they're good points. And for me, it's it's going to be tough off a four-day break. Um, there's no doubting that. But just got to keep considering each one of these as a test. And I think got to get to the point where, you know, a pass mark not that many weeks ago was just to be competitive and stay within the game. But um, I think, you know, there's no reason to not accept the fact that you – why should we not believe that we can't go out there and win? You know, we've been in every six of the games that we've played, we've been in all of them. So – there's no reason why we shouldn't have that self-belief this week and get past that Anzac Day loss and, and move on and take on the next challenge. So hopefully that's what, what the team does and, and we get uh, a good game on Sunday. So let's end it there, Brennan. Go Dons. Go Bombers.